Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide legal insights into new developments in the Missouri education community. If you're a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public education decision maker in Missouri, well, you're in the right place. This podcast will provide you with insights into legal developments through conversations with legal experts and influencers in the Missouri education community. Today, we're going to be talking about a specific topic that's related to uh, something that's going to be happening for most Missouri school districts this next week, and that is the uh, election of new board members. More specifically, we're going to be talking about advice, specifically legal advice, for new school, school board members and how they may be wanting to learn a few things about school law and how it fits into their role as a new school board member. Today we have with us my partner, Emily Amahandro who is not only a school attorney um, and represents hundreds of Missouri public school districts. She's also a sitting school board member, former school board president, um, and has a lot of insights that I think will be helpful to the audience today. Welcome, Emily. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Just waiting for that board election next week. Board election next week. And as you know, we've got a couple of uh, developments with our team members, uh, our partner, Drew Marriott is uh, running uncontested for a school seat, a school board member seat. And uh, we also have our communications director that's running for a school board seat. So uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, thoughts about new school school board members here at the Ed Council team. So we'll see how things go next week. Um, You know, Emily, I I appreciate you taking the time today to talk with me about uh, new school board members and particularly uh, advice that we can offer to them, things that that uh, maybe administrators could talk with them about, um, and obviously your perspective as a school attorney as well. Um, and I want to start out with kind of a broad question, but I think it's a, probably a good one. Uh, you know, you came to school board membership without having time already as a school attorney, and so you had. Uh, the opportunity to get oriented to school law and practice school law for a number of years before you became a school board member. Um, but in your role as either a school attorney or as a school board member, what would you say the biggest legal mistake that you've ever seen a school board member make? <laughs> well, boom, like start off with, with the biggest question, let's, right? Let's what, have it up front. What's let's the biggest catastrophe? What could possibly go wrong? So I, in thinking about that question, I, I feel like there are two different categories in terms of big mistakes. Um, one of them is failing to recognize policy and legal reporting requirements. So there are oftentimes we have a board member who hears about something either in their role as board member or as a parent. Um, or as a member of the community, and the information that they hear is either about perhaps child or sexual abuse or sexual harassment or some kind of uh, discrimination, and especially for new board members who maybe haven't gotten their training yet, um, or even seasoned board members who maybe have forgotten some of that training, um, when a board member doesn't recognize, hey, that's something that I need to hotline, or I need to get that to my superintendent right away. Um, And the reason that that's such a big mistake is because 
if the report, if the board member is the only one who knows about kind of a big issue and the report isn't made either to the proper legal authorities or to central office, then we could have a situation that appears to have been totally neglected or um, what a lot of people like to say, swept under the rug. <laughs> and so, you know, we can have that happen. And then the district could face some serious legal ramifications for failing to take the steps that they need to take under policy and the law. And, and that can be a big concern. So that's, that's one big mistake. Um, another big mistake I would say is when we have board members who make motions during meetings without understanding the required legal process that may need to go along with whatever the board member is trying to accomplish. So, for instance, making a motion to terminate a tenured teacher because uh, even if the board discussion goes in a certain direction and the board either in part or as a whole or maybe even an individual board member has decided that they would like to see a tenured teacher separate from the district. If a board member does not understand or appreciate the due process that's owed to a tenured teacher before taking that termination step or that termination vote, uh, that can really derail the entire process that would be associated with um, the due process that, that is necessary for teachers. So not having a good grasp on what those legally required processes are, whether it's reporting or um, hiring or termination, those are some of the biggest mistakes I think we've seen. All good thoughts, although uh, I'm going to let you get away with cheating a little bit because I asked for the biggest legal mistake. Yes, I know. I know. Give me more than one. Just but, a chatty uh, person. That's okay. We'll, we'll let that slide this time. But um, so as I said earlier, you were a legal advisor to school boards before you became a school board member yourself. And I'm kind of curious, you know, how was it different than you thought it would be when, you know, sitting on the other side of the table and looking at it from the board member's role? So before I was on the board, I would attend board meetings or call into board meetings or talk to superintendents to give advice to boards. And it was relatively simple for me to be able to look at the law, look at the policies, consider public relations and say, uh, you know, these are your options or this would be my recommendation. When you're at the board table, that board table sits in your community. And so making decisions about as a board member about the staff members of the district, the students of the district, those things and the taxpayers funds those things look and feel much different when you are doing it for your own community, knowing your community well, perhaps being neighbors with a staff member or ha my, having my kids play with a student who is at issue. Um, so that really changes the tone of all the decisions that need to be made. So I think it brought a different kind of appreciation for me with regard to the decisions that boards have to make, because those decisions are not occurring in a vacuum, legal or otherwise. So those are things that really changed the way that I personally advise our clients and boards uh, as a whole, because they have to make those decisions within the context of their community and as they live and work in their communities. Now, I'm curious about that because, you, you know, you think of legal advice as good legal advice, and it really is not 
uh, something that's mutable, if you will, it can't be really changed or it's not malleable in that sense. But are you saying that you, you as you look at those problems for clients that now that you have to kind of account for some of those other factors or what, what are you really saying? Well, I think what I'm saying is that there's a difference between calculating legal risk in, and taking into consideration the community and school factors. So we can look at a statute and say, this is what the law says. And if you do X, you might violate the law. Or if you do Y, you won't violate the law. But when we talk about making that decision within the actual school setting, the superintendent and the board are thinking about the person who is involved and, and the people who are impacted by that decision. So when it comes to giving legal advice, I'm now trying to think of options or versions of options that may address some of those broader concerns that boards and superintendents have when they're making a decision that's not, there's, there aren't many decisions that are entirely legal in nature. They have all these other strings attached. And so, you know, I find myself now kind of tugging on each of those strings with each option that we give to clients and saying, okay, if, if we do this, you know, what direction does that string go? And so I think that that's the, the main difference is having that more holistic approach uh, and, and saying, yes, I understand that, you know, if we make this decision, your staff is going to feel perhaps one way about this. Your parents may feel a different way. Your taxpayers may feel a different way. So what's the best blend of options when we're weighing the different risks associated with those options? That's really good insight. It kind of brings me to the, the next area that I wanted to talk to you about. You know, when you have a, uh, a controversial legal issue on the table for a board, what do you think is the role of a good board member? I mean, what is the expectation of a good board member when there is some sort of controversial, controversial hot legal issue that they're facing? I think that in my experience as a board member, having faced some of those issues, having a good grasp on just the general role of a board member, that sort of 10,000 foot view, not micromanaging that means listening to the guidance from your district's legal counsel in conjunction with your superintendent's guidance regarding options for how to handle a particular legal issue, and then trying to maintain a level head when the heat gets turned up, because it's going to get turned up from um, a number of different directions. You know, you may have staff members contacting you, you may have parents contacting you, and trying to keep in mind it can be very easy to want to try to calm the storm a little bit, but really that's the superintendent's job. Uh, it's good to communicate the information that you're hearing as a board member about whatever legal issues going on to your superintendent so that they can talk to legal counsel about it when, when presenting issues and options to the board. But ultimately it's just about listening to the guidance and then trying to stay in your lane and in your role as a board member instead of getting overly involved, especially because a lot of these legal issues are, are also emotional issues. There are people's livelihoods at stake or, um, you know, people's 
school, that their ability to attend school, for instance. So trying to keep a level head about that. So there's this balance, I feel like, between making sure that you're thinking about community staff and student impact when you're making decisions as a board member, but you're also trying to maintain a pretty neutral position while you're making decisions. You know, um, I've always heard and, and I've come to experience this, and, uh, but it's, it does seem like that new school board members need at least one school year under their belt before they really understand how it all fits together, how it works. And experience is a great teacher. So I want you to kind of think back to your first year as a school board member. And, you know, what is it that you think it is about that first year's experience, getting that first school year under your belt that really teaches a new board member about what they really need to know about the law? Interestingly, it, my first year as a board member also reminded me as of my first year as a school attorney. So there, there is a cycle that occurs during the school year of legal issues. So certain issues tend to crop up at specific times of year. Now, student discipline is a year round fun, but, um, you know, staff evaluations and recommendations, you know, in the fall, you get, uh, to talk about things summer and fall, talk about hiring and, um, budget. And then as the year rolls on, you know, you're hearing about some staff evaluations and recommendations. And so, and then, you know, going into the spring, we're talking sometimes about facilities, you know, building facilities, bidding. So with each of those seasons within the school year, school board members get to see how the legal issues associated with those seasons come up. And going through that first year, you really do get exposed to all those things because chances are your board is going to have to take a look at a staff member who's perhaps not performing at an appropriate level. We may have a student discipline issue. We may be putting things out for bid and building things. And we may be taking close look at the budget. What are we allowed to do with our money and what aren't we allowed to do with our money? During the election season, we're talking about uh, how elections go and how bonds and levies work. So, you know, just with every topic that would come before the board, there's certainly some legal analysis associated with that. Sometimes that's in the background. Sometimes that's at the forefront. But going through that entire season, you really get a good taste of the issues that come up at each time of the year. You know, one issue that does come up uh, year round, it seems like anyway, is uh, is the requirement of confidentiality. And uh, of course, that's a legal aspect of being a board member. An individual board member really does have an obligation when it comes to confidentiality of certain information that they receive in the context of, of being a board member. Tell us this. I mean, what do you think is the most common mistake that you have seen um, that board members make when it comes to confidentiality? I think the most common mistake is just talking to friends and family members about things that go on in closed session. And a lot of times, I mean, I'm from a small community and the friends and family members that board members have are often very closely connected to the district itself. So if a board member's best friend happens to be a teacher, it may be very difficult for a board member to feel like they can't 
give that really good friend of theirs some insight about what's going on within the district, even though that information is probably not ready to be out there yet, or it was discussed in closed session. So that's the most common mistake, and it can create quite a bit of disruption, I think. And also, we see this happen very frequently with board members whose spouses work for the district. Mm. Let's talk about that one. How realistic do you think it is that board members won't share confidential information with their spouse or significant other? Is that really something that we can reasonably expect? Well, I think we have to legally expect it. (laughs) Is it difficult? I I, I think it absolutely is difficult, but I think it's something that we have to strive for. And, And I think that one thing for board members to keep in mind that I think is helpful for me is not sharing that information with your spouse is actually more protective of them than than sharing the information. Because once we start sharing information uh, and and we have, maybe we have a friend or a family member or spouse who's then perhaps not as careful with that information later, that is not something that is helpful for a board member's spouse to be known for sharing information that comes out of closed session, you know? And so I think that not sharing is more protective and being able to say to your spouse, yeah, we had a rough closed session board meeting and I, you know, wish that was something I could talk to you about at this point, but since it's not, you know, since it's not going to be a topic for open session or because it's a student matter or because it's a personnel matter, that's really not something we can share, you know? You know, one one aspect of confidentiality that sometimes it's a, it's almost the flip side of confidentiality in some ways, and and that is for you know board members sometimes don't understand the limits on their access to confidential information in the district, and uh, you know that's something I see with new board members in particular, but season ones as well. You know, they think that they should be able to to approach an administrator or perhaps uh, uh, you know. HR or somebody and try to find out information that they have about a particular situation. So uh, what advice are you, would you give administrators in dealing with that issue and trying to deal with board members who wants access to information and it really hasn't been put before the board yet? So what I would say is to take a look at what is being requested. So if it's something like personnel or student information, which we know is confidential pursuant to policy and the law, depending on the kind of information there, the question that I would have as an administrator is, is there an an issue that's going to come before the board or is there an issue that's out there in the community that the entire board needs to be made aware of? Because I think if you ask that question first, why is this board member asking for this and what is it exactly? Then you can strategize about whether that's something that needs to be provided in a future closed session, or is that a not yet type thing or a never. (laughs) Um, But if you, if you look at that, so for instance, uh, if we have a situation where a board member comes in and says, you know, we've had a lot of difficulties with Mr. Martin teaching history this year. And, you know, he's a wild and crazy guy and I want to see his personnel file and his evaluations. I think as an administrator, if I knew that 
perhaps my building principal had Mr. Martin on my rate on his, on their radar about non-renewal, for instance, or had been doing some sort of discipline memos. Maybe that is something that the board needs to know about, but that happens at a certain time of year, right? So we would be maybe educating the board member about, first of all, you know, our policy says that personnel files and personnel records are confidential. If that's something that the board as a whole is going to need to see before them, then that happens in November when we do our first annual, you know, first of the year review regarding employees with our building principals. So educating the board member about not just that they can't have access to that information, that they're not, they don't have any special privileges to that as an individual board member, but also educating them about how that information would eventually come before them, I think is important. And perhaps why, if that is perhaps some months away, why we would be holding off on giving that information to the board member. So if we're talking about a tenured teacher, we would say, yes, I understand, you know, that you probably have had some concerns. And if that's, you know, a situation where we would need the board to make a termination decision, it's incredibly important that that teacher receive due process. They may have to have a hearing before the board. So we really can't share that uh, with, with you or with the board as a whole at this point. But when it's time, we will be sharing that information. So education, I think, is the way to start with that um, to make sure that the board doesn't feel, the individual board member or the board as a whole does not feel that something's being withheld for a bad reason, right? Well, and, and as you know, sometimes we run into issues too with the disparity of information that's flowing to individual board members and that creates a whole host of issues, right? Right. And, uh, a lot of things that flow from that that uh, are usually not good, let's put it that way. Um, you know, one other area, Emily, I wanted to kind of dive into is conflicts of interest. And, um, you know, that is a pretty big area for individual board members. And that's kind of what we're focusing on today's individual board members. You know, what are some common problems that you've seen in this arena uh, that board members sometimes get wrong? So I think that one of the difficult things to try to describe to board members is the difference between a legal or statutory conflict of interest that the ethic, the Missouri Ethics Commission, for instance, would have a problem with versus board policy, which tells board members they have to refrain from the appearance of a conflict of interest. So I think that we often see board members who feel that as long as they abstain from a vote, that that is a sufficient amount of distance for them to take between an issue and themselves in order to say, well, I wasn't, you know, I didn't vote on that. So I, there's no conflict of interest there. Well, the conflict of interest concept goes deeper than that because sometimes just a board member's presence in the room during a vote or during a conversation even can unduly influence the way the board's decision may go or mute the conversation because the board members in the room who perhaps is related to an individual or who has a business interest in something, for instance, like that. That's what I was going to ask you, you know, what's an example of what you're talking about there where you have somebody that even, even though they've abstained from the vote, mm -hmm. it still may be a problem for them to be present or participate in the discussion. 
Sure. So, you know, if we, if you have a situation where we have a board member who's related to an employee, for instance, that and such that they would not be able to vote on them regard, you know, regardless based on um, the ethics statutes, then it really isn't appropriate for that board member to even be in the room during that during a, a difficult conversation, perhaps about that employee. So, you know, if the board is is discussing whether or not that employee should be rehired next year, obviously we know that board member cannot vote on that. And if the discussion is surrounding their performance or perhaps discipline memos or parent complaints, that sort of thing, the board member who's related being in, in the room has a detrimental impact in a number of different ways. One, the board probably doesn't feel free to discuss the topic very much in depth at all with the superintendent because we have, you know, kind of goes back to that confidentiality discussion we had earlier. Why does the board member need to be in the room if, and have the conversation if they're not able to vote on it? The only thing that really does is make the rest of the board members concerned that some of that conversation may come out of closed session at some point. And then also board members may not feel that they're able to express their true feelings or opinions in front of somebody who is the spouse, sister, cousin, whatever of the staff member. So that is generally where I see that arise. Similarly, we see issues come up where the board may be discussing uh, vendor contracts, for instance, where a board member has a business that they could bid on a particular, like mowing, a mowing contract, for instance. So if the board's talking about that and a board member's child or spouse or they themselves own um, a lawn care business, then really they shouldn't be in the room discussing how they feel about the current lawn care vendor, right? So it's not just the hard and fast line about well, if it's going to be provided by the board member, it has to be bid out. Or if it's a relation of the board member, they can't vote. Yes, we know that. But it's more about making sure that the operations of the board are able to run cleanly and with authenticity by the removal of board members who have that potential conflict of interest or the appearance of a conflict of interest or that are going to have to abstain from a vote from that discussion entirely. Let me ask you this. Um, let's just assume that you, you have the responsibility of sitting down a new board member and talking to them. And you can really only talk to them about one legal aspect of being a board member what are you going to talk to them about? What are you going to train them on that they really need to know about? I think that the number one thing would be the, the, mul the multitude of legal benefits of staying in your lane and in your role as a board member. So the more deeply involved board members become in the day-to-day -day operations of the school, the more difficult it becomes to stay I believe legally compliant because if we have board members who are going and pulling teachers at a building about whether they're happy with their principal or not, and then later the board has to make a decision about the principal's employment or there has to be a termination of the principal, that board member has put themselves in a very bad position because they basically went and did an investigation. <laughs> and so, you know, that can really mess with due process things. And 
so I think that there are lots of legal benefits to board members making sure that their number one job is to hire and evaluate the superintendent and to stay out of those day-to-day operations because the chain of command remains clear. The processes that are used by the administration for handling day-to-day operations are also maintained by that, uh, by that lane maintenance. So I think that staying in your lane and knowing your role as a board member, even though that's a very broad concept, has tons of legal benefit. I'm going to let you kind of close this out, but there's one area that I want to go into, and I want you to kind of take your legal advisor hat off for just a second, if you can. (laughs) Um, What kind of practical advice would you give a new board member? If it's a friend, they're uh, they're 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 running for board. They're about to uh, get elected to the board. Maybe it's Drew, and he's about to to take over as a as a board member here. Uh, you know, you're going to sit him down. Maybe go have a drink. Talk about you know. Here's what you really need to know as a practical matter about being a board member. What do you think that would be, Emily? I think that for someone who is new. I would tell that person that the board really doesn't do as much as I think the community perhaps thinks. So uh, we talked about this just a minute ago about the day-to-day operations of the district, that that's really not a board member's role. So my advice in that regard would be to get to know and talk to your superintendent and feel comfortable talking to your superintendent and doing a lot of listening at closed and open sessions and listening to your superintendent about the issues that the district is facing. There's so much benefit to that because someone who has never been on the board or, or perhaps who has never worked within a school environment just doesn't have a good grasp on the operations and doing some listening about that is so valuable to how you help partner with your other board members and the superintendent to make bigger decisions for the district. Perfect. You know, Emily, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your insights with us. A lot of really good information there. Um, We, you know, really appreciate it. And, For those who are listening, uh, we appreciate you taking the time today. We hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media. Subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics with practical insights on how to manage the legal risk and compliance issues associated with school law. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or you can check us out on our website. Just uh, Google Ed Council. That's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, one word, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together today, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.